You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Let's uh, start off with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, it's, uh, it's so good to, to come into this place and, uh, and to be with family. Father, my heart's encouraged to, uh, to see my brothers and sisters that love you and that, that want to serve your church, um, that have a gifting uh, to play a musical instrument, and I honor you with that. I thank you for uh, someone that bought donuts for us and heavenly donuts at that, and, uh, and just the blessing that is uh, for people to read scripture and uh, families and, and uh, singles to go downstairs and teach our kids God. Uh, it's just a beautiful picture of, uh, of your bride and and of the body of Christ working together. So I just pray a, a blessing, especially on our kids right now. Uh, we ask that your word uh, be spoken into their hearts and into their ears, and, and that you would open their, their, uh, their hearts and their minds to the truth of who you are. And we ask that you reveal yourself to them now. Um, and I uh, pray a blessing on those teachers. And our uh, Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord God, I thank you for the encouragement that we find. We thank you for uh, how your spirit dwells within us. And uh, and uh, even through tough weeks and tough times, we can, we can press on, God, uh, because of you and you living inside of us and the hope that we have of you and, uh, and of your kingdom. And so we ask all these things in the name of your uh, beautiful son. Amen. Uh, my name is Josh. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. Um, and uh, your bulletin you have there, there's a little portion at the bottom that you can rip off and, and drop it in the offering plate or bucket when it comes by later. And my, wa- my wife mentioned to me, the, if you want to give towards Sousa, uh, and you have cash, uh, maybe what we can do if uh, our offering guys, maybe we can pass the offering the first time and do our, our general offering, and then maybe we can pass it again for Susa, and that way if people want to give cash toward that and, uh, and help out with, those, uh, with, uh, with that. And, and I think that's a pretty cool opportunity that we have that some of us couldn't host, but we can give to help uh, these kids while they're here. And, uh, and like Billy said, the opportunity for them to, to hear the gospel, most likely for the first time in their lives, is something for me worth giving my money toward. And, uh, and uh, for them to, to be able to be with a Christian family and, and do all these really cool things. So, so we're excited about, about partnering with them in that. Uh, today we're continuing in Luke in a, a study called Kingdom Come. And uh, it's been very reaffirming for me this week to, to study through this. Um, Luke is writing this book, this letter to a guy named Theophilus. And in the beginning of Luke, he says, I write this to you so that you will, you will remain certain about what you've been taught. I'm, I'm, I've hung out with Jesus all of these years, so let me tell you what I saw. And Luke specifically talks a lot about Jesus' kingdom. And that's why we decided to title this Kingdom Come. Because we really, as God's people, or if you're just checking out who God is and, and uh, you're kind of wondering what this whole thing is about, this book, this letter is meant specifically to say, this is what it means to live right now in my kingdom. We believe that when Jesus came in the, in the form of a man to this earth, when God sent him, he ushered in a new kingdom. It was a new way for a people to live in a way that glorifies God and that brings righteousness to his name. And so we want to constantly be studying that and examining our lives and examining our hearts and say, what does it mean to be Christ-like, you know, little Christians? What does it mean to follow God? What does his kingdom uh, look like? And then Jesus himself is constantly talking about his kingdom. He's constantly saying, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to, to be my disciple. And in Luke uh, 16 last week, Billy walked us through the parable of the, of the shrewd manager 
And then right after that, it goes into uh, uh, the story about the kingdom. And then he jumps into this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And if you've read that parable, it's not like a happy parable that you do in kids' (laughs) community a whole lot. Because you've got these two guys, like Lazarus is a poor man who... uh, who is, is, knows God. Um, uh, the rich fool basically doesn't know God. He's spent all of his money on himself and his possessions. They both die. Lazarus goes to be with Jesus and, and uh, the rich man goes to hell. Uh, and then there's this dialogue between hell and heaven of the rich man calling out uh, to God and asking, hey, will you send someone to go and tell my family about, you know, the mistakes that I've made in my life? And, and, uh, in, in the scripture, it says there's, this, there's this, this chasm between the two, between heaven and hell, and, and you can't go back and forth. Once you've done here on earth, when your life is over, it's done. That, that's it. That's all that you have. If, if you choose not to live a life uh, to know God and to bring glory to him, then there's a consequence for that. That's a hard truth, right? That's not like happy church. You know, that's like, man, the, the truth of God's word and the reality of what it means to miss God's kingdom. Well, then Jesus is going to follow that story up, or, you know, maybe if he didn't do it really close to another, Luke is going to say, hey, these two parallel each other really, really quickly. And so he's going to say, well, what is, what is Jesus' kingdom look like? I don't want to be la- I don't want to be the rich fool that's in heaven saying, man, could I just get a drop of water on my tongue? I mean, I'm as, as tormented. Then what does it mean to follow God? Well, Jesus is going to lay out, here's what it means to be my disciple. And this is what it means to, to be a part of my kingdom. And that's something that I really needed to hear this week. Um, I go through seasons of like, not doubt, but, but uh, yeah, okay, we'll go with doubt. That, that word will work. I go through seasons of saying, God, are, 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 we doing, are we doing what we should be doing here? Like, have we missed you? Uh, or, or, or are we kingdom? Because, God, there, there's, there's a few, few more empty seats than there were you know, this time a year ago. And, and I know it's summertime, and, and, and we, we run kind of, a, kind of a small crew in the summer. But when I see that, like last week, we had like 50 people here. And I was like, oh, we're doing something wrong. And, and I, then I went and I listened to Sean's sermon from two weeks ago, and I'm like, oh, Sean was such a good communicator, you know. And he uses all these cool stories and these visual illustrations and, and the way that he painted a picture of the kingdom. And he did the, the parable of, the, of the, the prodigal son, the relationship that him and, him and uh, the relationship that we have with the father and how we disrespect the father and how we, we rebel to the father. If you didn't listen to that message, I would encourage you guys to. It's on the website. Go and check it out. But I, I listen to that and I see, and then I start, to, I start to doubt, you know, and, and so I get in these funks where I'm like, and I start comparing. You guys ever compare yourself to other people, compare your faith to other people, or compare your church to another church? Uh, and like on top of that, there's, a, there's, there's quite a few groups or churches that are looking to church plant in North Portland. So Mosaic is, is uh, we met with them, and they're wanting to church plant out here. And um, um, What's the South Lake? South Lake is looking to plant there in Beaverton, looking to plant in North Portland because they've got some killer stuff going on at Roosevelt, which, which uh, we're going to be sending out an email this week to our home community leaders about how we can be a part of that. Just some awesome stuff. And I met with two other church planters this year that are in North Portland wanting to church plant. And, uh, and it, I'll be honest with you guys, it's hard sometimes for me because I start saying, oh, we should be doing something different. You know, maybe, maybe we're not doing enough of, of the, the, the social projects. You know, maybe we need to, we need to start upper room back up and feeding the homeless. We gotta, we gotta do stuff, more stuff to bring more people because that's how, you know, that's how I gauge significance. But then when I read the word, I'm like, that's not how God gauges his kingdom. 
that's not what it, always what it means to be a part of. Not that those are bad things, but, but Jesus says, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what my people look like. And then when I do that, and I look at the passage here today, and he talks about guarding against sin, forgiving one another, having faith, serving dutifully um, in the community together, I'm encouraged. You know, I'm encouraged at what I see, and I'm encouraged uh, in, in kind of, I guess, what God is asking us to do here as his people. There's not a whole lot of flash, you know? Like, there, there's, there's not pizzazz, but there's a group of people who love God and are using uh, their abilities and their, their gifting for him uh, and to serve him, to serve his kingdom. And so I hope you guys will find encouragement in God's word like I did this week. And so Friday morning, I, I, I got up and... And uh, Friday is kind of my day to, like, uh, talk to God. Like, I, I, I try to set us some time away to just hang out with God and, and, uh, and, and maybe get away a little bit. And, um, and so I, I, that morning I went and talked to Jamie. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of in this funk. Like, I just need to go meet with Jesus, and I don't really know when I'll be home. Like, I mean, I'll be home at some point today, but I probably won't be home for lunch. And, and, uh, and so I came into the office, and, and, uh, and then I just jumped on my bike and just started riding. Uh, and wound up out at, at, at Kelly Point Park. And uh, I'm not a bike rider, by the way. That hurt. Um, there's a lot of hills that you don't notice when you're in a car. That when you're on a bike, it's, it, it's painful. Um, and so I got out there, and, and I probably looked goofy because I, I, I hiked my bike like, down to the water and just found a little, a little cove down there to, to, to hang out with Jesus. And so I was reading his, his word and kind of flipping around, and I've um, been trying this extra co- exercise of speaking the truths of the gospel into my own life. Like, I think there's times when we need to speak the gospel into our lives, like we forget. Um, and so there's this one exercise of, uh, it's kind of a framework of speaking the gospel, and, and it's four questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? And what should I do? Um, and a lot of times we flip that and say, what should I do first? And then we try to let, make God come out of that. But when you start with who is God and what is his nature and, and what, is, what is he all about? And he's sovereign, he's creator. Uh, and then I go into what has he done? And I remember this beautiful picture throughout history of God redeeming people and, and loving them through all of their sin and rebelliousness. And, and who am I? I am, I am God's child. Made in his, I'm made in the image of God. I've been redeemed. And what do I do? I, I get to model that to other people. I get to model the characters of God. And so I, I just had to sit there and work my, myself through this exercise. Um, and then I was reading through some scripture, and I came, I came across Psalm 23, which is a really popular psalm. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, I shall not want. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. But at the very end, in verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. Because surely... And I kept saying that myself, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy. So what is happening now in the life of Josh Duncan, in the life of my family, in the life of Red Sea, is God's goodness and mercy on us. And I've found so much encouragement in his word and just in knowing him and in knowing his plan. And then to be able to look at this passage of scripture and say, okay, God, what do you want us to do as your people, who, who, should, who should we be? Who are you? What have you done? Who am I? Now, what should I do? 
Luke 17 verses 1 through 10 for me was just, was just eye-opening. So I'm going to walk us through this. Uh, kind of, I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 10 again. And then, uh, and then we'll hit each verse as we go through. So it says in, in 17.1, And he said to his disciples, Temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one to whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and if he were cast into the sea uh, than uh, that he should cause one of these uh, little ones to, to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, say, I repent, and you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So in verse, uh, in verse one here, he kind of, uh, he kind of lays out to the disciples the, the consequences of, of sin. And, and he specifically says, he says, you know, sin is, is going to come. That, that's going to be a part of being broken and, and a, a fallen human. But woe to the one through whom it comes. Now the word that he uses to describe sin here, it's a very serious sin. Uh, it's mostly a sin of false teaching inside of uh, the people that you have influence over. And so he says, if you sin... But it's a sin that causes one of these little ones to stumble. Now, he says little ones. He's not necessarily talking about children because, remember, he's looking at the disciples. Now, the disciples were young. A lot of them would have been teenagers. But he's saying when, when you cause someone to sin and that sin affects the people around you, if that affects the people that, that, you, ha- that you have influence over, it were, it's better that a, a millstone is hung around your neck and that you're thrown into the ocean. So we have a picture of a millstone. Uh, this is the visual of what he says, this thing be hung around. So the stone in the middle, he says, it's better if this were hung around your neck and you have this mafia-style death of you getting kicked off the boat and slowly sinking down to the bottom and just suffering in the worst way you can possibly imagine. He says, that's better for you. Dang, that's intense, right? That makes me stop and say, whoa, who am I influencing in my life? Uh, for me as a parent, it was a, it was a nice kick in the teeth. I was like, wow, what, what am I doing? Because you guys, you guys realize the influence that you have as parents over your children, right? Uh, we live in a very individualistic culture that says sin is something that I deal with. It's mine. You know, I keep my sin over here in my life, and I, I'm working at it, but if I... If I if I sin, it just affects me. And that's not what we know from God's word. We know that it affects people around us. Um, for me, it really rang home. Um, I, in my household, my dad um, was not a, a believer. Um, at least he wasn't a practicing believer. And we always had uh, porn in the house. And so there was always a stack of Playboys, you know, and, and, and me and my brother knew where they were. It was always really dirty movies. You know, we had uh, Skinamax, um, and so there was, that, that was a part of the, the culture that my dad created in, the, in our household. And that culture had devastating effects on me as a young man. Uh, it really did. It led me through a long, dark road that lasted for a really long time in my life of, of an addiction to, 
to lust. And I, I, I see that as bringing into a, a man that chose not to honor God. He chose to be selfish in his household and allow sin to, sin to enter into our lives. And you guys know how influential our kids are, right? And I think one of the, the, the problems that we have in living in this individualistic culture is we're not willing to deny ourselves. We think, I deserve something. I'm going to do what makes me feel good and makes me feel happy and not think of what we're bringing into our home and what we're allowing uh, to affect our children. And our children are like way influential, right? I, um, um, we found out, I guess a few weeks ago, the public school that our, my uh, Madison starts in in the fall. Um, and it's just our, our local public school. And, uh, and it's, it's a, not that it's a bad school, but it's the first time in my life that my children are going, Madison's going to be out of my hands, right? I've had her the first six years to, 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 to love on her and, and to show her what a, a godly man looks like and how he cares for her and he takes care of her. But now she's going to be surrounded with other men and other boys that don't have that same heart. And I know that they're going to have influence, Right? And so this tension is building inside of me as we get closer and closer to the fall of the reality of my child being influenced, right? Uh, and in this passage, he, I think he uses the word little children because it shows us how the Father looks at us, right? How much God cares for us, how much he, he does want us to be in an environment where we are, um, not, that it's, not, that, not that it's always safe, but that that we are protected, if that makes sense. I really believe that God wants us to be in a place of, that's, that's healthy and that we're having God's word, his word spoken into our lives. And, and, and I think, you know, I think about my little girl and I think about the environment that she's going in. And as a father, I want what's best for my child. Like I, I want to be, I was like, I'll be there every day. I'll stand outside the classroom and I'll just watch. You know, and as soon as a boy approaches you, I'm just going to tear him up, you know, or as soon as I see you go, trying to go off here or there, daddy wants to be there. My heart that I have for my child is God's heart that he has for us, right? And when you choose not to deny yourself and when you choose to enter into sin, you can very easily lead other people down that route. So if you don't have kids, all of us have people that we have influence over, right? And in our culture, we've just accepted this idea that, that I can sin and it doesn't affect anybody around me. And I'll be honest with you guys, this isn't a, a happy truth, but one of the places is most obvious that we see it is in um, having sex outside of marriage. That's become very culturally accepted, and many people have found it easy to justify that even in Scripture. And so we see that a lot of people are, are choosing to live together before they're married and, 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 and not being married. And we know that, that that is not how God designed us to be in relationship with one another. We see that there's a commitment that our culture defines as marriage that... God intends for us before we enter into sexual intimacy with one another. But we've decided to say, you know what, God, I know what's better than, I know better than you do. I believe that the best thing is for me to have sex with someone before I marry them because I want to really find out if this is somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with. And so it's an authority issue that you have with God in your life. Not being submissive to him, not being submissive to his word. That's a, a hard issue, but we take that issue and say, well, that's just between me and, my, me and, me and my, my mate. No, it's not, because that's affecting your community that you're in, right? 
And so it's not just about the two of you, and it's not just about the commitment that you have with one another. It's about everybody else around you, and it's affecting the church. And God saying, you know, that's not how I intended for you to live, and I want to use you for my glory and for my kingdom, but you're not willing to even be submissive to the things that I'm asking you to do, and I want to use you to glorify my church, and I want to use you to lead and to set an example, but you're not willing to deny yourselves something that's very fun you know, and something that's very pleasing. You know, that's something that, that rings true uh, to all of us. And so Jesus says, you know, if, if you're going to continue to live like that, you, you know, go ahead and tie this stone around your neck and jump off a boat and sink to the bottom. Wow. That's, that's hard, guys and, uh, and ladies. It's a hard truth for us. And so after he, he talks through, he says, temptations are sure to come, but woe to you through who they come. It'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the ocean that he should call on these little ones to stumble. So pay attention to yourselves, right? He says, examine your lives. Look at, look at what you're doing. Look at the people around you that you're influencing and, and, uh, and say, wow, I'm... I'm I'm affecting those around me. I, I had to do this with my, my kids uh, not too long ago. Um, I was, uh, went through a season of, of, of struggling with, with uh, lust. And, uh, and it was when my kids were real young. And, and I remember one morning, um, Madison coming downstairs and talking about these nightmares that she had. And, and uh, it was images that she had never seen before, Right? Like we had said, you know what, I'm not going to, we're not going to let you watch that movie. There's certain things at this age you just really don't need to be exposed to. But she was seeing these images. And I started thinking, I was like, wow, I'm bringing that into my home. I am, I am allowing Satan to come in. And even my sin is affecting my children. And that, for me, that was this huge wake-up call to the weight of what I am doing and to watch myself and to examine myself. Uh, and I, I know this is, this is hard because it's really easy to sit here and kind of nudge the person next to you and like, yeah, watch yourself. You know, like you need to stop doing that. You need to, you need to, you need to pay attention. But remember, all of this is meant to be read in community. This is something that we're meant to be doing together as we're walking through this life. Because this naturally goes to this next verse. He says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, turn seven times and say, I repent. You must forgive him. So he goes from, from, this, this idea of, of, of you watching yourselves to you watch each other. Oh my gosh, like, like this is something that we just don't want to do, right? Like this is just this, this really hard truth about the importance of us being in community and us knowing each other well enough and being in each other's lives enough that we can see when someone's entering into sin. There's this accountability going on. This is why we push being in home communities together so that we can be honest with one another because if sin does affect the community and it, and it does affect um, the consequence, if there's a consequence that you're going to have to face, it's worth us being invested in one another's lives and of knowing one another and having authenticity in the relationships that we have with one another. Spouses in community and a family, but also us to be able to speak into each other's. Now, this does not give permission for the church to be nosy, right? 
I think it's a lot of us have had these bad experiences in church where it's like everybody's all up in my business, you know, and they constantly think they can tell me how to live their lives. This isn't about this, this, this holy rollers hit squad, you know, that we find real prevalent in the church where people's constantly, constantly looking into each other's lives and, and feeling like we're trying to control each other. But it's about uh, our commitment to pursue righteousness together. Because we, we don't want to meddle in each other's business, but we're on this journey with God and with one another. And so we're speaking into each other's lives, right? Because the, the consequence, if there's no one speaking into your life, by the time your sin really comes out and it's public, there's been this awful consequences that have been caused up to that point, right? By the time uh, a, a marriage is ending, a lot of times that's a sin that started back years ago that, w- that was isolated. And because we weren't able to speak into each other's lives, we weren't able to deal with it. That's why I appreciate so much. There's, there's, there's couples in our community that, uh, that are being very honest right now with, with, with life and the struggles that they have and how they're sinning with one another. And as a community, we're getting to speak into their lives and walk with them through that. A lot of times that's not what we see. We see isolation or, yeah, I've got it all together. Life's good. There's no problems. And then all of a sudden it builds and it builds. And then one person wants out, you know, and they don't want to have to do with it anymore. That's what we see a lot of times. That's why we have to be in community together. That's why we need to be speaking into each other's lives because we do love each other and we care about one another. I care about you guys. I care about the state of your relationship. I care about the, the, the addictions that you have, the addictions that I have, Right? Because I want to be in your life. And I really believe, guys, this is what makes the people of God be that shining light in community. Because a lot of times I say, you know, what's going to make us significant is this thing that we do, like this program or this, this, this social work or this uh, amount of people that we have or even some type of fancy church discipleship program that that people will just flock to. But the reality is, when we do this, or when God does this through us, it's a beautiful picture of what the church should be and of what the bride should be. And so when I read that this week, I was like, God, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be a part of, is a people who know that they don't have it all together but are willing to work toward righteousness together, are willing to strive toward knowing God together and rubbing against one another as iron sharpens iron and, and vulnerability and having a, a, an authenticity in our relationships that is just out of this world. And so that's what I believe we're fostering toward and, and, and that we're working toward. And, and for, for me this week, God really affirmed that. Hey, keep going. Keep going in what you're doing. You know, you guys are headed in, in the right direction. The other side of that is it's very easy to, when we see someone sin in their life, to constantly be pointing out that sin and to never be extending forgiveness to that person. You know, we have in a relationship where, let's say, a husband that continues to, to lust and, you know, he's, he's dealing with this sin and he confesses it to his wife and they pray together and there's healing and, and, and the resentment. But then when it happens again, there's not as much forgiveness the next time. And then when it happens again, it's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, stop, you know? And, that, and that's typically what happens. But, but what Jesus says here is when somebody sins and they confess their sin, you're to forgive them. And if they confess seven times 
a day, you're to turn seven times and to forgive them. Because if you're not willing to forgive the person that's sinning against you, you're not ever allowing them to move past their failures. And it also shows that you don't understand what the gospel is truly about. You've possibly never experienced forgiveness in your own life. Jesus says in Luke, uh, what's it? Luke 6, 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. A sign of being able to forgive those people that have sinned against you is a sign that Jesus Christ lives inside of you because you've experienced that truth of forgiveness. And so what does that look like in, 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 in your life, in community? What is, how does forgiveness need to be extended? Maybe in a relationship or um, maybe just in uh, an idleness of sin that's in your own life that you need to confess to your community and then walk with community through that. That's what God intends here. The reality of doing this, guys, is so friggin' hard, right? It's so hard to do this. Like, it's, it's easy for me to stand up here and to say, hey, guys, you should be doing this. I know how difficult that is. I think that's why the disciples in this next section and this response, or why Luke puts it here, they say, Lord, increase our faith. Like, you know, they, they call him Lord, saying, we're looking to you to provide us something, God. We need something in our life. Increase our faith. And Jesus, in his response to them, he says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would, it would obey you. So this is, Jesus' response is not a matter of quantity, but it's a matter of present, presence. It's not about the amount of faith that you have. It's the, 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 the presence of faith in your life that you're really willing to go before God and say, God, I need you, Father. I, I need you to give me the strength to forgive the person next to you. And when we come to God in humility, asking him for strength, it says, I will do these amazing things to you if you will just have faith in me. And he gives this crazy illustration of, of, of a, a grain of mustard seed, which that's the smallest seed that they knew of. He said, if you had faith in the grain of mustard seed, you could tell that tree to be uprooted and be thrown into the ocean. And he says a mulberry tree, because that was one of the largest trees that they had. It had this vast root system. It lived like 600 years. Uh, it would probably be pretty equivalent to our maple tree in, in the way that it looked and in the design of it. Um, kind of rang home for me because when we moved into our house, the city of Portland gave us some trees. They sent us this thing in the mail and said, hey, you live in a great place for trees. Would you like some free trees? We're like, yeah. And so yeah, they gave us all this list and we chose a maple tree and an oak tree. And they'll be like, we were, we were just thinking, oh, the, these big, beautiful trees out in the front of our house, you know, and they're like covering the road. And you want to live on one of those roads where it has like tree-lined streets, and the cool part of living in North Portland. And, uh, and so we get our tree and it's like 15 feet tall, you know. And, uh, and Maddie goes and sees it and she goes, are you going to build me a tree house? And I was like, I'll build your daughter a tree house, you know, in like 40 years. But sweetie, it's going to be a really long time before that is, is going to hold anything, anything up. But we chose it because of the, the, we, we like the idea of having this gigantic tree. And that's what Jesus says. He's like, if you would just have faith in me, if you would just have faith in what I can do in you when you humble yourself to me, I can do these beautiful things in your church and in your life. And so he goes on to give a parable of what does the attitude of a person look like who is actually doing these things? What's the attitude of a person who is willing to confess their sin, who is willing to be forgiving, who is willing to uh, find accountability and is willing to have faith? And it's a really interesting parable. It's called The Unworthy Servant. He says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, When he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table. 
Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he has commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Some of your, some of your Bibles uh, may say worthless servant. I am worthless in light of where I stand before God, right? I look at the sin. I look at, at what I've done with my life. I look at the relationships that I've destroyed and, and the people that I've sinned against, and I am worthless in the sight of God. But the good news of the gospel is that because of what Jesus Christ did in dying for those sins, I have been given much worth. And now I have an identity in God. So my attitude is I am a servant of God. I am, I am doing my duty. I am serving you. But I serve the master. And I know a lot of us don't like that word master. But I serve the master because he's a good master, right? Like he's a good, good God. As I've walked on this journey with God, this journey of faith, I've seen these beautiful things be, be produced in my life. And because of that walk with God, not of myself, not of something that I had to offer, but because of God's grace in my life, he's done this beautiful work. And so it makes me want to continue serving him. And it makes me want to continue to be a part of his kingdom. It's because of the the faith that I have. So what I wanted to do is a little group participation here. Um, I thought it'd be really cool uh, to hear what faith has produced in your life. So think of, you know, the walk that you've had with God and maybe something that God has asked you to do along the way that really took you just depending wholeheartedly on him to do that. And, and then what happened? Like, what did, it, what did it look like? And I'll preface this by saying, silence is our friend. And so we can sit here for a while and think. It's okay. But I want you guys to, we're, as the priesthood of believers... Uh, let's, let's honor God in talking about what faith has produced in our life and, uh, and find encouragement in that together on, on, on this journey. So we just kind of want to throw it out there to you guys. Uh, anybody just where you're at, you know, what's faith done in your life? Anyone ever been sinned against? It took faith to forgive that person that sinned against you? Yeah. Like when we told our, our home community, we told our stories and it was amazing as, as we went around the, the amount of us that have been sinned against, you know, and to extend forgiveness to that person. Jesus talks so much about forgiveness in the, in, in the Gospels, you know, especially even in, in the book of, of Matthew. You know, there's like 10 different references to why we should forgive and how hard it is to forgive. But it's this, this beautiful picture of, of God in your life and of him healing you and and redeeming you. Uh, ours was this uh, this verse actually. Um, when we were, I guess, be eight years ago this year, we left uh, we left home, which is Alabama, and uh, and started this journey with God. And and uh, we read this verse. It said, "If you were." <laughs> It'd be better than a millstone or hunger in your neck and you're thrown into the ocean. Then you lead these little ones away. And we were youth ministers at the time at a church. So it really resonated for us because we looked at, we didn't know God. And we looked at what was being produced out of it. And we were like, oh my gosh, like 
I think we, we got to stop doing this. And so we started this journey of, to know God, and the faith for us was just leaving. We had to sell everything. We sold homes and cars and gave away our stuff. Um, and, uh, and just began this journey with God of saying, God, I don't know the end of this. Like, I don't know where this is going, but I believe, I know that this is where you want us to go. So let's, let's start walking, God. Let's, you know, let's go on this thing. And, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to have this, these last eight years to have gone on this journey with God and, and now to be at the place where we are, we are now. Uh, and to, to be in community with you guys and, and to all the things that we gave up years ago in faith, God has returned to us now. And so we, it's, it's, so, it's so cool to see kind of where he's brought us and, and this faith journey and, and what it's been produced out of it. Uh, and it was constantly, you know, going through these, these four things uh, along this journey with God, a guard against sin, be forgiving, have faith, and serve dutifully. That's, that's what we did on, on this journey with God. And it's not like we're there. You know, we have such a long way that we have to, we have to go. And, and the stuff that me and Jamie are working through in our marriage and also here in St. John's and, and the community that God's called us to. But I really believe as God's people, if we will, if we will commit ourselves to, to that. And basically what that is is just knowing God. If we would just commit ourselves to pursue God and to know God. And in doing that, guarding against sin, confessing sin, forgiving having faith in him and his providing for us, and then having an attitude of saying, you know, God, I am just a servant here to, to serve you and to go on this journey with you. I really believe that, that, uh, that God is just, I believe he is just all over it, you know? And, and even getting to, to worship this morning and, and hearing those songs and feeling the presence of God and, and, and feeling affirmed in God's spirit of what he's doing in this place for me was just, was just so beautiful to know that, that we are God's people and, and he's pouring his grace out on us as his, as his church and that he loves us and that he has this, this beautiful plan for us and, and uh, he's given us this incredible community to do it together in is, is, is awesome. So that's what we're going to continue doing as, as God's people. And so this next uh, portion of our service, we're just going to spend worshiping the master. We're just going to spend praying out to the father um, I would even encourage you, you can do these things that, that we talked about today. Maybe if there's sin that needs to be confessed, then feel free to, to confess it to the person that you've sinned against. Uh, the table is a beautiful place. Coming up here and realizing that Jesus Christ and the penalty that he paid for our sin and all that he has done to reconcile us to the Father, I now no longer have to be held accountable. God took the punishment for me. And so now I've been made right in his eyes and, and accepting that forgiveness and then extending it also to other people. So I would encourage you guys to, to come to the table and, and to do that, to confess, to ask for faith. God, he says, you know, the faith the size of a mustard seed, I can do things. So if you're sinning, you're struggling with sin in your life, to come to bring people with you and say, I'm struggling in this area, uh, confess it. Or, or even just come up here and have an attitude adjustment, you know, and say, God, I really need you to, to change my heart for your bride and for your church. I really want to serve you and, and your people. So let's just do some business with God today and uh, in his house and together as a community. So I'm going to uh, pray for all of us, um, pray for this time, and then uh, the, the band's going to come back up and, and lead us before God's throne. Uh, Father, I just, God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you didn't leave us here alone, Father, to just fumble in the darkness, but we have the light. 
uh, that lights our path. And so, Father, I thank you that as, as we walk on this journey with you, we can know you and we can hear clearly from you. And Father, we admit that we are a fallen people who need redemption, God. We, we continue to sin against one another. Father, we continue to sin uh, against you. But I thank you for the security that we get to come before your throne and to, to offer that, Father, even in that, that, that song we sang earlier, God, to, to confess our sins before you, God. It's such a beautiful thing. Thank you for that. Thank you for sending your son to be the payment for my sin. I'm so unworthy of that, God. We ask for the continued empowerment of your spirit in us to be your people, called apart, set aside for your namesake and for your glory. We want to glorify you in this place, Father. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.